You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and joining me once again is the brilliant Mike Stavrou. Mike, welcome back to the programme, mate. How are you doing? Hello, mate. Always a pleasure to, to do this, so I'm glad to be here. Yeah, always is. And um, especially during the international break, because it gives us yeah. an opportunity to talk some football and and kind of pretend that the international break is not here because it is really something st- to fill up our time, mate. Something oh, It's so boring. It drags. It makes content creation very, very difficult and it makes it feel like a chore and it doesn't normally feel that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the international breaks. I, I like the idea of having some time at various points over the season where you can just not completely chill out and unwind, but you can kind of, relax in terms of the intensity of it all yeah but then then once you get into it it just feels like it goes for too long doesn't it um but we're going to discuss a number of things today we're going to talk about arsenal's uh, reported interest in rb leipzig and usa midfielder tyler adams that's being reported by sport build but has been reported in the past by the athletic and various other sources so we'll be touching on that briefly and Arsenal's need for a midfielder. We'll be talking about Arsene Wenger. Um, I've spoken about him plenty over the last couple of days, but I want to get Mike's thoughts on the suggestion from Mikel Arteta that Arsene Wenger would be welcome back at the club, perhaps not in a official capacity, but in some capacity. So I'll get Mike's thoughts on that. We'll also be talking about the Premier League's managerial merry-go-round. Steven Gerrard confirmed as the new Aston Villa boss. Eddie Howe was unveiled and gave his first press conference yesterday as the Newcastle United boss. And could Frank Lampard be on his way to Norwich City? We're going to be getting into all of that during this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. Big hello to those of you in the live chat box. Hope you're well. Um, Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're new. And if you'd like to go one further by becoming a member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. But let's start off with the Arsenal. Let's start off with the links with Tyler Adams of RB Leipzig. Now, I've got to be honest, Mike. I don't know a great deal about this player. And I don't want to claim to. And I don't want us to go down this rabbit hole of pretending that we're experts on him and know exactly what he would bring to the table. You'd never do that, Harry, would you? Ever? No, no, of course nah. not. Because it just feels like, you know, it's it's wrong to do that when you don't have that knowledge. But yeah. I am encouraged by the fact that we are linked with a midfielder because I've said for ages, it's a position in which we really, really need to strengthen. Um, do you know anything about Tyler Adams? And are you pleased that, midfield links seem to be kind of popping up here and there yeah so i'm like you i haven't seen a whole load of him but i did do a bit of uh, german football coverage uh in in the past and i've seen him play um and for me he's quite an athletic versatile skillful midfielder um plays primarily as like a holding midfielder but can you know get forwards uh, if he has to and he can also, I've seen him play at right back as well, which is a good trait, especially for someone like Mikel, who 
um, will definitely utilise that. Loves uh, players with versatility. Said was recently talking about Maitland Niles after after the, the last match and said, you know, it's a huge talent, a huge skill and value to be able to play in multiple positions, which we know he likes. And obviously as well with um with Tommy Asu as well, he's not going to be playing every game and we need to have that back up there. So if, if Adams can sort of slot into midfield, but also play right back, it'll be a huge help. Um, but yeah, for me, I am very glad to be being linked to a midfielder again, because I feel like that was the position last summer, which there was a whole gap. And I'm not saying rumours always true, but you have to think if you're being linked with like three or four players in a certain position, you're probably going to be going for one. But the fact that we weren't really linked with many, if at all any, last summer, it was a little bit worrying for me because it was clear that us as fans thought it was a priority position, but to the club, maybe it didn't seem so. But you're right. I think the Athletic have reported that we've been interested in Adams before. So I think it's something we need to be looking at. I don't know if that would be for a January move or next summer, but we spoke about it on the last podcast. I think it's a definite position that needs addressing. It's a must, isn't it? And if I just bring up Tyler Adams's profile, uh, for those of you watching us on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. If you're listening on the audio, don't worry. We're going to go into detail. We're going to explain it all. But Tyler Adams, USA international, he's even captained the USA, uh, according to a report I read earlier. This uh, particular piece from Sofa Score really does highlight the player's versatility. You can see on there he's been uh, deployed in a number of positions, centre midfield, defensive midfield, right midfield, right back, and even right wing. Uh, you can see on that map there, you can see from his heat map that he gets all around the pitch, that he is involved uh, in all aspects of the game. Bit of an all-action midfielder. 22 years old, which you feel fits into the profile of player that Arsenal clearly um, are looking at these days. The only thing that kind of jumped out at me a little bit when I saw this, Mike, was the average sofa score performance ratings. His average rating is 6.66 out of 10 uh, so far this season. And if you look at the last few fixtures, played very well against Borussia Dortmund, apparently back on the 6th of November. But prior to that, it's been a little bit up and down um, mm. in terms of his performance levels. And I would argue anything sort of below a seven is not something to shout about. Um, but I guess, you know, all these different websites, they have different ways of kind of assessing those performances. And while I look at it and I think, well, it's a bit underwhelming. I think you do have to take this with a pinch of salt, right? Because yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not fact. It's, it's someone's opinion no. based on a, a set of metrics. But again, it's what you're going to get from, um, from younger players. They will be inconsistent. Um, but I think it's better to be a 6.6 6, um, if we're looking at these metrics rather than be an eight some weeks and a four other weeks. Cause I think with, with young players, that's what tends to happen when they're a bit, well, I'll, I'll draw an example. I, I was thinking of Matteo Guendouzi came came to mind all of a sudden because this is someone who could literally look like a world B to one week and he could have an absolute stinker the next. And I think what we're going for as a club in terms of our direction is a profile of player that has the right character. Um, and then the, the skill set comes in afterwards. And I think that's evident from the signings of the likes of Tommy Asu, Ramsdale, Ben White, Lokonga. All of those players seem to have the right sort of character. They all seem to be uh, leaders in their own right. Obviously, like uh, I think Lokonga was captain at Andlek for a bit. If I'm if I'm not wrong, I think um, there's 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 been others. There's been so many other cases where I think you see the leadership. Obviously, uh, Martin Odegaard as well, was captain for Norway. 
I think that's that's what they want. I think the mentality is such an underlooked part of, of the game that we don't look at, especially for a young player as well. Like if you're having Odegaard who's like 23, captain his national team, I mean that's huge. Like that's a big, big plus point for for a player. And then I think that's that's what they're really looking for going forward. Yeah, I think so too. I think character is something that they've obviously earmarked as being very, very important. I think it is very important. You know, we for years have banged on about a loser mentality, a weak mentality. And so you can understand why Mikel Arteta and Edu and everybody else involved have come in and gone, that's the first port of call. That's one of the most important things that we need to kind of rectify here. And that takes us on quite nicely to Mikel Arteta and Edu. Because, so I've had a jam-packed week this week. It's why there's been less content on the channel. Uh, It's because I've been out and about. Um, I went uh, to work all day on Monday and I went straight to the David Dean and Arsene Wenger show at the London Palladium, finished from there, full day on Tuesday, um, and then, which included radio and all, various other bits and pieces, and then straight to the world premiere of the brand new Arsene Wenger Invincible film. Now, at the London Palladium, I, if and, and forgive me if I've got this wrong, but I don't recall seeing a member of the current Arsenal setup, a, a high-profile figure, a prominent figure of the current Arsenal setup being at that show. There were lots of ex-players, lots of former players, lots of people who have had relationships with both Arsene Wenger and David Dean over the years, but nobody in a power of any position at this moment in time. Yet at the world premiere of the film on Tuesday, both Mikel Arteta, Edu, and Vinay Venkatesham were all in attendance. I described that yesterday on on the show we did, where we looked back at the premiere, we discussed the film a little bit and talked about the whole evening. I felt that that was Arsenal as a football club extending an olive branch to Arsene Wenger. Mikel Arteta and Edu extending an olive branch to Arsene Wenger, not because they want him to come back and be the director of football or tell them what to do or anything like that, but because they want to create this environment at the football club whereby we are drawing the positives from Arsene Wenger's legacy and trying to use them to help us develop and progress. Mikel Arteta basically said that he would welcome Wenger back in some form, you know, and we don't know what that form will be. I don't think Wenger would take an official job, but just to be able to come to games or or feel like he's wanted and, and can come to games, I think, is something that Mikel Arteta and Edu and Vinay are very keen to put right. Would you have Wenger back in any way, shape or form? Would you have him back as a part of the team? Or do you feel like just having him back at the ground from time to time would be enough? Well, for me, Harry, I watched the documentary and I'm not going to lie, it was emotional because I think, by the way, shout out uh, Gabriel Clark, the, the guy who, who produced it and directed it great guy uh, did a really really good job but for, for me what was so moving was the fact that it was so it, it, it put pulled on your heartstrings essentially because I've not thought about it in a while Wenger left in 2018 I've sort of made peace with it um, I was one of the people to be completely blunt that wanted him out um, I think it was his time to, to leave his time to move on there wasn't any abuse obviously I think it was just time for him to move on which I think a lot of fans felt like um, and the Arsenal fans were so divided at that time and it was so awful, some of the abuse that he got, it was bad. But I think 
years and years later, we've sort of forgotten it. So what this film did for me, it stirred up some emotions and like a, a great, great manager that we had. And to see what he said, which I don't think he said before, I could be wrong, but he actually said, I, a regret of mine was that I should have left earlier. And the fact that he's come out and said that and he's felt able to say that years later obviously tells you that something wasn't quite right. I think he said that in 2007, he made a decision when uh, David Dean left the club, um, like, do I leave or do I stay? And he decided to stay loyal to, to the club rather than maybe do what was in his best interest. So absolutely fair play to him. So it's just, it, it's just a sad ending to what was a great you know, story, um, what was a great manager, a great tenure. Yeah, of course, it soured towards the end and we all sort of feel bad about that last 10 years wasn't as good as the first 10 years, but I think overall you have to say, you know, he's an, he's an icon. Um, and for me, the fact that he's spoken about this multiple times, that he's not even been able to come back, he doesn't want to come back and watch a game. That for me, that as a fan, and to think that I might have contributed to it in a tiny little bit by wanting him out, not that I voiced that, but to think that you sort of held those feelings is a bit sad because it's like this whole situation was created or a lot of it was, not all of it, by fans who essentially wanted him gone. And the fact that it turned so, so toxic, the club had to make a decision. Um, he wanted to see out his contract, but it wasn't able to happen. You know, there's there's a part of responsibility that fans have to have to take. I saw Sir Alex Ferguson say that fans should be ashamed. And well, I won't go that far, but I think, you know, that there's a part of responsibility there. So for me, of course, I'd love to see him come back because I think he has so much knowledge to to impart on... On, on the new sort of era. And I think that the fact that we do have Edu and Arteta basically leading the club to, you know, former Arsenal players, why not add another one in there? Because they're, they're all sort of singing from the same hymn sheet, it seems, like in, in terms of like the philosophies, like Wenger wanted to promote youth. Well, we're starting to see attractive football now, just about starting. But I feel like that's the direction Arteta and Edu want to take it in. So... I think for me, there'll be no issue for him having like an advisory role. Um, but I wouldn't really want it to go much further than that. I don't think, should he have a place on the board? I'm not really sure. But look, he's, he's a club legend. And I think just the way it ended, it would be a nice gesture uh, to, to bring him back in some sort of capacity. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm I'm not really sure if he comes back and he gets... Some kind, or, or if he comes back, he should get some sort of official role. But just like you, I felt the same, you know, knowing that this man who gave us so much almost felt so upset and heartbroken by the way his departure came about that he can't even come to a game. I, I find he's weird. And look, yeah. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here because I've said in the past that I don't think for Man United, for example, it's great that Sir Alex Ferguson sits behind Ole Gunnar Solskjaer every week. And I think that adds to the pressure on Solskjaer. He'll always be compared to a manager who was just in a completely different world to him. But there is, as you say, there are great things that we could take from Arsene Wenger. And at a time where, OK, we're operating in a new way, but we've got some relatively inexperienced people at the helm. I don't think he'd do any harm, you know. I don't think I don't think Arsene Wenger was solely to blame for Arsenal's demise. Some people will will argue differently. Some people will say he was the the main culprit. I think Arsene Wenger's biggest flaw was his stubbornness. But that doesn't mean it comes from ill intent. That doesn't mean that 
you know, if you're stubborn, you know, I've got family members that are stubborn. Doesn't mean that they're stubborn because they want to irritate me or they want to do something to, you know, to to wind me up or or to kind of go against me. Some people are just like that. And and I think I'm stubborn in some ways as well. So I think as humans, we have to understand that that's just part of his character. And in a lot of ways, although that stubbornness then in the end contributed to his downfall, actually a lot of that stubbornness and that sort of reluctance to move away from his values and what he believed to be the right thing is what got him to where he was in the first place. So there's pros and cons to it. I think when I look at the Arsenal board now, I think that for me, I would feel probably a little bit more comfortable if there was somebody with a bit more football in Norwich on there. I mean, you look at that board now, Lord Harris of Peckham, Stan Kroenke, Josh Kroenke, Tim Lewis. I mean, there isn't an ounce of football knowledge between any of those guys. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind him. If he is going to come back in some capacity, then it needs to be at board level for me. Not in the day-to-day running of the club, but he's clearly someone that Mikel has huge respect for. He's clearly someone that Edu has huge respect for. And if they can lean on him at certain points to kind of get you know, advice and, and maybe tap into his experience, I don't see how that's a bad thing. What do you make of the whole statue debate? Because David Dean brought that up on the London at, on the show at the London Palladium on Monday night. You can't believe there's not been a statue there. I would argue there are people who there are statues of at Emirates Stadium currently who have done less for Arsenal Football Club than Arsene Wenger has. Are you going to name names or are you just going to... Oh, I'll leave that to people's <laughs> interpretation. <but. laughs> I'll put you on the spot there. Uh, no, absolutely, man. Of course you should have a statue. As, as I say, he's an iconic figure. He, you know, revolutionised the club. Everyone knows what what he's done, um, and you know this is a man who single handedly stuck it out through dogs abuse, um, load of stuff written in the papers. I mean, to go from someone who no one knew, no one had any idea who he was when when he first turned up. He had his own player, Ian Wright, saying Arson who, you know, to go from that to then winning us Premier League titles, you know, the Invincibles. Everything that, that he's done, countless FA Cups, I just think it's, it's you know, wrong. And it's morally wrong, especially given how it ended, not to have a statue of the guy. I mean, isn't it, isn't it Fulham, like, had a statue of Michael Jackson? Is, it, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think they yeah. did. Yeah, I think, I think Fulham had a statue of Michael Jackson. The fact that they've got that and we can't have a statue of Arsene Wenger, I mean, where's the logic? No, agreed. It's mad. Absolutely crazy. Um, so we've touched on on the, the Tyler Adams links. Uh, and I'll just and the reason I go back to that, there's a couple of comments in the chat. Uh, this one really jumped out to me from Ashton, who said Tyler Adams is literally Ainsley Maitland-Niles 2.0. Um, I can't disagree with you, Ashton, because I haven't seen a lot of him. Uh, but yeah, it, looking at the kind of range of positions in which he seems to appear to be able to play, I think that's a fairly good comparison. Um, Patrick says, how does Wenger not have a statue just to take it back to that? Uh, BX Gunner 81 says, uh, unveiling a Wenger statue would have been better PR. Um, Sko says, uh, Wenger literally grew, grew the club to the size it is now. He deserved one before Omri and Burkamp, though I'm happy they have one too. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it as well. Um, maybe it was too raw at the time. 
maybe the emotion was too raw and we know that so many fans wanted him out. Is there an argument, Mike, that the club were right not to do it straight away? Um, I mean, maybe. Maybe in, in a PR sense because how it did end, how bitter it was. But, look, I think like it, it turned so quickly, didn't it, from like the abuse and the toxicity to when Wenger announced he was leaving. I mean, everyone was like, oh, what a legend, what a legend, what a legend. So I don't think it would have been that bad at the time. I, I, maybe, I maybe can understand, but I almost think that like everything that he did supersedes PR and the fact that the club maybe had to think about that at the time. And the fact that he's still not got one, it's just a bit of a shame. So, Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, Tuco makes that joke. How about a statue of Michael Jackson outside Emirates Stadium? Um, what else have we got? Speaking out a couple more. Akene says that Emirates Stadium should be named after him. Would you name the Emirates Stadium after him? Would you go as far as that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I'd maybe name the stand after him, like the Arsene Wenger stand. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. think the stadium is a bit too much because... You know that that's gonna have that's gonna be the name for a long, long time. So you're you're committing to a lot. I feel like statues are probably the much easier thing route to go down. Yeah, I think as well. You know, naming a stadium nowadays, it's something that you know we a lot of the time we say it should be done, but it's a massive form of revenue for football clubs now to name their stadium after yeah. a sponsor. You see it so much and. Naming it after Arsene Wenger would almost be saying, well, we're happy to give up that revenue. And I don't really think we're there uh, or in that place or position where we can do that. Uh, and we can give up that kind of income, um, you know, just out of kind of sentiment. But I agree with the whole stand thing. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about some more news from the Premier League as Mike fades into the darkness. <laughs> it's getting so dark now. I was, I was going to turn the light on, but I was like, people just thinking, what on earth are you doing? Go on, go for like it. Like Darth Vader a bit, don't I? Go for it, go for it. Why you go for that? Yeah, go on. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of news going on in the Premier League at the moment and we'll touch on some of that now because, of course, um, there's been a bit of a managerial merry-go-round going on. We heard last week Dean Smith was sacked by Aston Villa. Stephen Gerrard has now taken over the position at Villa Park. Eddie Howe is in the hot seat at Newcastle United and Frank Lampard could be on his way to Norwich City. Uh, first, Mike, let's get your take on Aston Villa. Dean Smith, did he deserve to be sacked? Because I've seen some mixed opinions on this. Um, I thought it was quite harsh, actually. I think, considering he'd been at the club three years, got them promoted, made them into a pretty decent team, had players like J uh, Jack Grealish, you know, come through. I think it was harsh, but... I can see the logic of it because, you know, five successive losses, the team are probably in bits. And the fact that they invested that Jack Grealish money so heavily, like they could have just gone, all right, well, we sold Jack Grealish, let's take it as profit and and not bother essentially. But they reinvested the money. I thought they spent wisely as well, like players like Emi Buendia, um, you know, Leon Bailey, like these, these are good, like decent level players that should be, you know, playing in Europe. So... The fact they were able to attract those names speaks a lot to the sort of club that Villa still are. Even though people don't like to believe they're still a big club, I think they are. Um, just based on the history and based on like, the size of the resources, the fact that they were able to you know, buy, attract this sort of talent. So 
I thought it was a little bit harsh, but at the end of the day, you, you don't get time in the Premier League. Time is not a luxury you, you're afforded as a, as a Premier League boss. And I think Steven Gerrard will find that out pretty quickly. Um, but Dean Smith, I think everyone thought he was a nice guy. But at the end of the day, five losses, you know, way, way lower in the table than they would have expected. I think, I think in his statement, he came out and said that, you know, the club wanted to challenge for Europe and was sort of looking towards Europe. So ultimately, when the club's ambitions don't fall in line with where the, where the team are at the moment, a decision has to, has to be made. They were dire. Like, let, let's not be honest about how bad they were. Like, they were getting battered. Um, compared to the team that came up to the Emirates, and uh, was it the Emirates? But they, they beat us last season. 3-0. Um, yeah, the, the 3-0. Compared to the team that I saw then, compared to the one now, I mean, it's night and day. So, yeah, it had to go. Yeah, I think he had to go as well. And and what a lot of people don't realise, and obviously Dean Smith lost five games in a row in the lead up to his sacking. But the big thing that people are missing is that actually Aston Villa's form through the entirety of 2021 has been awful. It's not something that just happened overnight. You know, they've been in this decline. He had an opportunity in the summer um, to kind of get things back on track. A lot of people will point to the departure of Jack Grealish. And where I've got some sympathy for Dean Smith is that We've seen in years gone by, sometimes clubs will sell a star man and think as though if they sign four or five players to kind of compensate for that, they'll be okay. And often that doesn't, you know, that still doesn't match the impact that one outstanding player had. And I think you're seeing that at Aston Villa. I don't think Buendia has been very good since going there. Um, I think they're now in a position where they're complicating things. It was Ollie Watkins up front by himself last season. It worked really well. And now Danny Ings is there. And you're seeing a two-man forward line, which has led to a change in shape, change in system, change in formation. Mm. Leon Bailey hasn't really done it yet. Um, and, and there's a number of players that have come in that just haven't had the impact that, that Villa would have hoped. Not yet anyway. And uh, so there I've got some sympathy for Dean Smith. But equally, you know, as you say, the, the form's been bad and it's been bad for a long time now. And if Villa have aspirations of pushing on for European places, then they had to make a change. Steven Gerrard, though, Mike, is he the man to deliver that? Is he an upgrade on Dean Smith? Is he someone that uh, you're quite excited to see how he's going to get on? I find it really, really hard to judge managers coming from the Scottish Premiership. Um, I really do. I know that he did lead Rangers to the title, their first league title in 10 years, which is obviously a big achievement. But when you're looking at a two-team league, which is essentially what it is, you know, you basically play a tough game like twice twice a season like a few more times in in the cup and you know they they did get in the Europa League but um they they didn't go too far so I find it difficult to judge based on the level I mean he he has done a good job there I'm not taking away from what he's done you know to, to sort of reinvigorate a squad and to overthrow Celtic in the in the way that they did was impressive but Premier League is a, is a different kettle of fish. And I think maybe that's a sign that, um, you know, that was the job that was available. I don't think he'd get any better than Villa. I think Villa is probably the, like, a, a great job for him in, in terms of what he could expect. Um, so I don't really know what to, what to think of him, really. I've not seen, like, much of, like, a distinct tactical philosophy but he see he seems like he knows what he's what he's doing. He seems you know when, whenever I hear him speak, he, he always says the right things. He's not he's not an idiot. He's switched on, so I think he can he can do a decent job. But time will tell. But 
like I have to say that he's got a great, great squad to to work with. Like we're, we're talking about players that maybe underperform, but when you look at players like Leon Bailey, Wendy, Danny Ings, who scored twenty goals in in the Premier League last season, you know these are these are like good Premier League players who should be like hitting hitting the top seven places. So we'll have to see, but he's got everything, the right tools to succeed. Yeah, I think the thing I found a little bit strange about this is is not that Steven Gerrard has decided to leave Rangers for the Premier League, right? I think that obviously Rangers are a massive, massive football club. Aston Villa are a big club too. And the appeal of the Premier League is obviously, you know, massive. You know, we saw Brendan Rodgers leave Celtic to make his way to Leicester City. And I know that was received controversially by the Celtic fans because of the timing of it. It was mid-season, etc. I'm a little bit surprised that Steven Gerrard, though, has... I don't know how to put this, because on the one hand, I get it. But, you know, I'm surprised that he's gone mid-season and said to Rangers, mm. thank you very much, I'm off, and not seen it out to the end. But then again, you don't know what opportunities are going to be there come the end of the season. So you know, you could miss the boat and then you could pay for it later on. So I get why he's done it. I just felt like Steven Gerrard might feel a little bit more loyalty to Rangers because he was completely unproven and they gave him a chance. And yes, he's mm. delivered and yes, he's done well. But Brendan Rodgers, when he went to Celtic, for example, was already an accomplished manager. And and so, you know, he, him going to Celtic was great for Celtic. He delivered lots, but I don't think he owed anything to Celtic, whereas I think Steven Gerrard owes something to Rangers. And I can understand why there will be Rangers fans out there disappointed with the fact that he's moved at this point in the season. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do find that a little bit strange, but we keep saying it. Steven Gerrard eventually probably hopes to be the Liverpool manager. And I think if this Villa kind of stepping stone, if you want to call it that, works well for him, then it could be the perfect kind of way of teeing him up for that job when Klopp uh, decides to depart. Do you think he will end up at Anfield one day? I, I think so. I think Klopp probably won't stay beyond the end of his contract, which gives him a, a couple of years, I think, and he will eventually move on. I mean, look, for Gerard, it is risky because at the end of the day, Rangers, he was doing well. I think they're top of the league at the moment, mid-season probably we're going to go on to to you know win the league I, I would say so it's it's a huge risk because if he would have won two league titles i think you look at that cv and say you know he's done a great job at rangers the next sort of step would be to go to liverpool um but he's he's being brave i have to say like cuz villa at the moment there's the, even though it's a good squad like i said like there's work to do like this is a team that has not been producing and you've had senior players like Tyra Minks, who was great last season, really, really let down. So he's going to have to go in there and command command the players and show his authority. But I think in terms of like managers getting jobs, like you mentioned earlier, I think like Premier League legends do typically get, you know, the rub of the green in, in, in terms of what openings that, that they get. I mean, look at Frank Lampard, like he got the Chelsea job and he'd only managed Derby before. So you do get a little bit more leeway in that sense, and um, whether it's deserved or not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100 sold because, as I said, the, the the quality of the Scottish Premiership is nowhere near the Premier League. Like you're going to have a tough game week in week out, even if you're playing bottom of the table. So it's going to be a true test of character. But I have to, I have to like commend Gerard because he could have stuck it there at Rangers and and had it quite not easy, but you know, a lot easier than it would be. But he's willing to take that that step to to go on and improve his credentials in the Premier League. Because if he does 
a good job at Villa, maybe gets them like top 10 this season and then maybe like pushing for top seven next season, I would say that's pretty like good going and he will probably like be offered the Liverpool job when the clock does go. I think that's probably a fair like target for him. And if he reaches it, I think like fully deserved. Yeah. No, fair play. Uh, another managerial appointment in the Premier League is that of Eddie Howe at Newcastle United. I found this one weird, Mike, because they went from Unai Emery to Eddie Howe. And listen, we've spoken many, many times about Unai Emery, but he's still in a completely different league to Eddie Howe. Was this just further uh, a further display or a further sign of the fact that these Newcastle owners, they might have deep pockets, but they don't seem to have too much about them in terms of football now. Yeah, it was a weird appointment because I think we were saying last time um, when Emery rejected the job, we were like, oh, they need like a sort of battle-hardened manager to, to get them through this period. And then maybe next season, two years down the line, when, you know, the sort of owners have had a bit of chance to invest in the squad, then they'll go and get their sort of longer-term, higher-profile manager. But they've not done that. Um, to me, it seems like a bit of a, a panic. I think they've gone for someone who's like middle of the road won't necessarily like give them a huge chance of, of surviving and isn't like the worst appointment in the world but it's just like given the resources that they have and what you would imagine that they'd be able to offer like prospective managers eddie howe's a bit like like for me like when it when i heard of the newcastle takeover and as an outside view it was like not exciting, but it was almost like, all right, well, this is going to be interesting to watch from from an outside perspective because they're, they're going to have a load of money. They've got probably the budget to sign whoever they want and they can sign whatever manager they want. And the fact they've gone fairly high, I'm just sitting here a little bit like, all oh, right, like I, I suddenly don't care about them anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's just so underwhelming. Yeah, and it's it's a weird one because, like you said, you know, we were thinking that they probably needed someone a bit more a bit more battle hardened. And I know Eddie Howe kept Bournemouth in the Premier League for a number of years. But he doesn't really feel like he falls in that category. He also doesn't feel like he falls into mm. the the top manager category. And he's kind of like in one of those places um, where he's, I think, look, I don't agree with the appointment, but I think this is how Newcastle are looking at it. I think they're seeing Eddie Howe as someone who has the experience of being at the bottom of the Premier League, but equally could be the guy that kickstarts their revolution because he does play a particular brand of football. And he does sort of, I think, um, come across quite well. So I think that's mm. how they've seen it. And that's why they've decided to make the decision. But given he hasn't worked for a while as well, it feels like a big, big risk, uh, I would say. Let's see. Um, the other one I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on. It's not done and it might not get done, but Frank Lampard is being heavily linked with a move to Norwich City. Why would you take that job if you're anybody with any level of ambition? I just feel like... Norwich City are just destined to be a yo-yo club and you can't really win there. No, it's, it's a really tough one. I think for Lampard, I've not seen him linked with, with loads of jobs. I think after he got sacked from Chelsea, he was like linked to the England 21 job, which is, you know, it's not it's not great, is it? It's not really what you want after going from Chelsea down to, down to there. And again, I think with Norwich, like, what is the ambition there? I think in just forget about the managerial position. Um, the fact that they sacked their manager after winning the first game of the season, that was weird in itself. Um, but you're completely right. Like, what do they want? Like, do they want to just go up and down, drop down to the championship, come back up a few seasons later and then drop back down again? 
I don't really know. And for a manager, that's like the worst position because at the end of the day, when you're going in to, to become a Premier League manager, like as much as you're trying to sell yourself, they have to sell the project to you. And I can't think of what they could say, Norwich, to Frank Lampard to make him think that this is a good opportunity to bounce back from Chelsea. Because let's not get it wrong, like Chelsea was a bad, bad showing for Frank Lampard because although he did all right first season, I think scraped top four. When it came to the management of big players, he was just completely at sea. And I think he was just completely naive with, with his tactics. He didn't know how to get the best out of the likes of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. And I think your your next job almost has to be a bit of a bit of a gimme, bit of a one where you have to build up your reputation a little bit. So I think for him, he probably should have taken like a championship job because he did well at Derby and sort of like worked hard and, and got to where he was. And then maybe he could have moved up a little bit to like a more of like a, a mid-table Premier League side. But Norwich, I mean, he does he keep them up? And it's, it's, it's another one where we're saying like Eddie Howe, we're not sure. Yeah, he has kept Bournemouth up in the past, but is he this type of manager that you need to keep to keep someone up? Because at the end of the day, like that has got to be your ambition to, to stay in the Premier League. That's it. I mean, the, the fact is that we're even questioning it. Do, do Norwich care? Like, are they happy to go down and then come back up in a few seasons? We don't, we don't know. But for Lampard, I can't see why he would take it. No. Yeah, I can't see why he would take it either. And, and, and I get it. Look, I mean, when you get a job like Chelsea as your first job, then, you know, you're going to have to understand that if that doesn't go well, you're probably going to have to hit that reset button. And maybe you are going to be humbled in the next job that you take. But Norwich openly say as a football club, or we've heard it in the past, you know, that they are happy to be. I think the quote used was they're happy to be in the top 26 clubs in the country, which for me is just bonkers. Like mm. you're happy to be in the top 26 or 23, whatever it was. In the country, it says that you're happy to be relegated. You're happy to drop down to the championship as long as you stay at the top of the championship the following year. And it just sounds absolutely mad to me. Um, just a couple more bits I wanted to, to touch on, Mike, before we wrap up. Uh, first of all, you're getting a lot of love in the chat from Chris uh, about your fantasy football team. Um, he says, Mike's rather awesome at FPL, but scares me that he doesn't play the Guna players. And yeah, while well, Steven Gerrard to Villa when Klopp pops versus ask Gerard in the next year or two lol okay uh, the fantasy football bit let's go back to that uh because mike that is you right sitting in the second place of the chronicles of aguna league yeah that is me mate that is me i'm i'm You're very flying. proud to say that i know You're absolutely flying. smashing it absolutely smashing it indeed but just the one arsenal player in your team mike no two two at, at present, you've got Ramsdale and Smith Rowe in there. Come on, what's your secret? Because everybody's getting quite animated about this league uh, in this chat. And uh, yeah, what's your secret, mate? Well, we've not been great, have we? So, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We've not been great. So, essentially, like, why, why would I pick Arsenal players when we've not been good? But I've, I've put in Smith Rowe. Um, Aaron Ramsdale's in there. And to be fair, I brought in Smith Rowe, a bit of a masterstroke, scored. In, in the last game to go out Andros Townsend. I think what it is, it's just essentially like looking at the trends and seeing seeing what's going to do well, what players are sort of on on the uplift. But mate, I'm not going to stay in second. I'm telling you now, like I, I don't know I don't know how many people are in this league, but it's a lot. Like it's a lot. So it it would be something special for me to for me to stay there. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how many people are in this league, but what I do know is I'm in 209th position, which is shocking. But I have to say, I haven't done my team for about eight weeks. That is excuse that everyone gives it. Like they, they have a few so bad true, weeks now. Like, oh, you know, I'm just not going to. No, it. no, but it's, it's, it's true. Like genuinely, I haven't done it because I just I always forget. I've always got stuff going on. I always miss the deadline. And then I'll, I'll miss it a couple of weeks and then I'll start to lose interest. It always happens to me. I start the season brilliantly and then, yeah, I go off the rails. I don't mean brilliantly in terms of my points, as in in terms of paying the relevant attention to the game. Uh, and then it goes out of the window. Right. Just a, a few minutes remaining. So uh, get your questions in the live chat box. We want to hear from you and we'll take a couple of those before we wrap up. Make sure if you haven't done so already that you've hit the like button, subscribed to the channel if you are new and if you're looking for some content to get you through the international break, you can check out my recent interview with the co-director of the Arsene Wenger Invincible movie, Gabriel Clark. Uh, I caught up with him last week about the film, about working with Wenger, about Sir Alex Ferguson's contribution and more. So please do head over, check that out, show it some love. And we was at the premiere on Tuesday night as well. And I caught up with Football London's Kaya Kainak yesterday, uh, who was also at the premiere. And we discussed it on yesterday's podcast. So you can catch up with that too. Also, my weekly show with Tom Canton, um, the crossover show that we do, uh, is uh, happening a little bit later on today. So you'll be able to catch that on the Guna Talk TV live or... Of course, it's available on podcast uh, or in podcast format across both of our platforms. So do check that out as well. Uh, let's go over to the questions then. Uh, Abdallah says, Harry, quick question, bro. Is Burkamp the best player to ever play in the Premier League? Even though I'm a Chelsea fan, I can't ever hate on King Dennis. I can't say that Dennis Burkamp is the best player to ever play in the Premier League. I can say he was one of the best players. I can say he was technically as gifted as you'll see, um, an absolute magician with the ball at his feet, uh, a wonderful player. But I don't think he was the best player in the Premier League because I don't think he was ever the best player in the world, if that makes sense. And I think for many, many years now, we've associated the Premier League's very elite by being in the same bracket as the world's elite. Um, Mike, would you agree with that? Dennis Burkamp, wonderful player, but best player to ever play in the Prem? Nah, nah. I mean, I actually love Dennis. Like, what a cracking player. But no, I wouldn't quite go that far. Um, I think greatest, it's, it's really hard because there's so many, like, elements to it. Like, do you do it in terms of, like, ability? Or do you do it in terms of, like, what they've won, the impact they've had? It's, it's a really hard one. So I guess, like, what you do have to go for is the overall best um so obviously I'm a bit biased but I would say it's Thierry Henry because I just think he was the combined package you he obviously won a load um you know scored a load of goals and you know overall I think for, for me just had the biggest impact I mean look I'm absolutely love the guy so I'm gonna be biased but I just think he he pips it I think Burkhout's probably technically better player but in terms of like the monstrous effect that that Thierry could have on games I think it's it's got to be him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Thierry Henry's above Dennis Burkamp in that in that category as well. I also think that you have to put Cristiano Ronaldo in there because he is one of the greatest of all time. How could he not be one of the best to ever play in the Premier League? 
So he has to be in the conversation as well. Um, but yeah, interesting question, interesting discussion. Uh, let's take one more uh, or two. We'll take two more. We'll take two more. Let's take this one from Patrick, who says, what does Ben White have to do to get in the England squad? Mike, I don't know about you, but I don't mind him not being in the England squad. I'm happy. I'm absolutely happy because the last thing you want is for him to get in and get injured and then and then we're missing him for a long time. The fact that he's been so solid alongside Gabriel, like literally changed it. I think we conceded like three, um, it might be wrong, but about three goals since, since we got beaten by Man City, like over a, a large amount of games. So like them two have just been rocks at the back. I mean, look, obviously I want it for him because it's, you know, a dream to play for your country. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll want to, but in terms of from a selfish point of view, yeah, absolutely. But it's exactly the same with Smith Rowe. Like, I think I'm delighted for him because I think this will give him a massive boost to get his first England call up. Um, but, you know, next squad, he can be left out. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's uh, let's take uh, another one. Let's take this one from Halo, who says, "Has Edu what it takes to help Arsenal to that next level for what it takes to sign the right players?" I had a chat with Edu the other night. Um, it wasn't very long, uh, admittedly, but uh, had a bit of a chat with Edu, and um, I just think Edu carries himself in such a brilliant way. I think it's impossible not to like him. And I think when you're in a role like that, obviously competence is massive and it is the most important thing. But I think you have to be likable as well. I think you have to be able to manage relationships. I think you have to be able to come across well and, and, and get people to buy into you. And I, I do think Edu seems like he can do that. I think he's always been likable as a player, now as a as a kind of sporting director. What's your take on, on Edu, Mike? We talked about the job he's done so far. But I would say there's no reason to suggest he can't go to that next level in terms of helping us to bring in players. I'm really not. I'm not sure. I, I think you're right. He seems like a bit of a commander. I think he's charmed you, Harry. You know, I think he has because you were sort of giving him a bit of a, you know, a seven out of ten or something like that. But as soon as you met him, looked him in the eyes, you've done a bit. But no, no, I get what you're saying. He is a he is a commanding presence. Um, when he's talking, he he seems to know what he's talking about. But I think you know, talk is is cheap essentially. And this is not me saying that he's he's a bad technical director. He can't become one. But I think we need to see more evidence of the type of deals that we've seen um, in the last window, uh, just to show really. I'm, I mean, look, sometimes it's not always about individuals. I think sometimes it's about the collective and how everything works together. And from what I've seen with him working with Mikel, I think that's a good partnership in terms of recruitment. And I think that's that's what we need going forward. So do I think that he's going to like really raise us into like a Premier League title contenders? I'm not sure. But I think he can take us through to the next stage of the, of the rebuild, which is getting back into the Champions League. And then we'll see whether, you know, that's an elite enough sort of partnership to to take off sport. But at the moment, I am a bit sceptical, yeah, I have to say. Fair play. Right, uh, let's uh, let's leave it there then. Uh, lots of interesting discussion. And this is the kind of discussion that we don't want in the chat. And I'm going to put this up on the screen just to make a point. Um, Edu's a prick. I mean, inter what is that about? Like, it's not exactly giving a, an insightful uh, opinion or giving somebody something that they can think about and have a discussion about. It's just nonsense. You don't know the geezer. I don't know the geezer. We can't sit and call someone that. 
Um, and, and that is exactly the kind of toxicity that unfortunately, uh, since the emergence of certain people, uh, and I'm not going to name any names, but you know exactly who I mean. Uh, since the emergence of, of certain people online, this club's fan base in a lot of areas is just in the bin and, and it needs to fix up, man. It's, it's disgusting. And, um, you know, you, you claim to be an Arsenal supporter and you call people words like that without knowing a, the, the slightest bit about them. I think it's unacceptable and I think it's pathetic, to be honest. Um, but there we go. I just wanted to highlight it because I'm highlighting it now because going forward, I'm not going to take it in the chat. I'm just going to delete it, whether it's about people at the football club, whether it's about people in the chat, whether it's about people contributing on the show. Just that kind of talk is just nonsense and we don't need it. Uh, so I'm putting it up there so you guys can see uh, exactly what it is that we're not going to be tolerating going forward. Not because I'm getting precious over someone that isn't me or anything, but I just like it doesn't offer any sort of insight. You're not giving someone anything to talk about, anything to discuss, anything to consider. You're just spouting nonsense on the YouTube chat. So it, it won't be tolerated going forward. And uh, there you go. Uh, just to let you know. Right. I'll be back very, very soon uh, with more. Mike, let everybody know how they can follow you, how they can keep up to date with your excellent work. Yeah, mate. So it's on Twitter at Mike underscore Stavra. I'll post like links to my Metro articles and uh, a load of nonsense, but some good stuff in there, I hope. Lots of good stuff in there for sure. Uh, as I say, we'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal and football related content. Enjoy the remainder of the international break. Hope it's not too boring for you. Take the time, spend it with your friends, spend it with your families. And we'll be back with some full on Arsenal stuff over the coming days. Until next time, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.